Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Well, what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down, and I say, Hey, how you doing? And I hope you're doing well, everybody. Welcome back. This is Jim McCarrens with another edition of The Good, The Bad, and The TV on the number one podcast network for professionals. It's the Believe Podcast Network. Look for us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. Check us out on Believe.com, where you can also find information on advertising on this or any of its many podcasts. Now let's believe in the good, the bad, and the TV. The year is 1990. The year when 80-year-old Driving Miss Daisy star Jessica Tandy becomes the oldest Oscar winner ever. And 19-year-old tennis prodigy Pete Sampras is the youngest ever U.S. Open winner. It's the year that Nolan Ryan pitches his sixth career no-hitter and that Pete Rose is sentenced to five months in prison for tax evasion. Those unclaimed autograph signing fees do add up. In 1990, Emma Watson, Kristen Stewart, Jennifer Lawrence are each born. And real-life superhero Ryan White succumbs to AIDS at just 18, having carved out a legacy for himself that lasts into the next century. Not just about the disease, but about standing up to intolerance and to ignorance. In 1990, Sharon Pratt Kelly is elected mayor of Washington, D.C., becoming the first black mayor to head a major U.S. city. She succeeds embattled Marion Barry, who was arrested this year for drug possession in an FBI sting. He's a guy with his own relationship with a district called Columbia. In Atlanta, locals are celebrating that their city is named as host city for the 1996 Summer Olympics. In Fort Lauderdale, a jury convicts a record store owner of obscenity for selling an album by two live crew. In Cincinnati, a jury finds an art museum and its owners innocent of breaking obscenity laws for displaying Robert Maplethorpe photos. In New York, famed mob boss John Gotti is arrested. In Alaska, Joseph Hazelwood, former skipper of the Exxon Valdez, is acquitted of second-degree criminal mischief and reckless endangerment charges, among others, in connection with America's worst oil spill last year. In the Middle East, Iraq evades Kuwait, leading to the Gulf War. In Moscow, the first McDonald's opens, because, well, McDonald's. And above the earth, a smoking ban is in effect on all domestic U.S. flights of six hours and fewer. In 1990, George Bush, President of the United States, signs the landmark Americans with Disabilities Act, one of the most sweeping pieces of civil rights legislation in 25 years, designed to protect tens of millions of disabled Americans from discrimination. The big Christmas movie of 1990, Paramount's long-awaited and ultimately disappointing Godfather Part Three. And in 1990, Universal Studios opens to the public for the first time, just in time for summer. The idea of a summer tryout for a new TV show will sound strange to future generations, but in 1990, it's still a regular part 
of the TV network world. Many a successful series has gotten its start as a summer tryout. From Hee Haw and Sonny and Cher two decades ago to Seinfeld just last year. The standout TV trial balloon this year, it's an unusual new scripted drama on CBS called Northern Exposure about a young New York trained doctor mandated to serve the first four years of practice in Alaska. The forced move changes his life. The show changes TV. And an eight-week summer test run turns into a five-year Emmy-winning triumph. Newcomer Rob Morrow stars in Northern Exposure as a fresh-from-residency Dr. Joel Fleischman, contractually obligated to go west as a way of repaying the state of Alaska for financing his medical education. A big city curmudgeon, he tells himself he can deal with it for four years. After all, Anchorage is a big city too, right? But he's not delivered to Anchorage. Instead, he's sent to the tiny burg of Sicily, population 714, now 715, where his bigger-than-the-state-itself arrogance gets in his way. That the locals nonetheless like him, most of the locals anyway, doesn't help in his mood. Among them, an inscrutable indigenous office assistant, a hard-ass, self-appointed, self-inflated town boss, an ex-con who happens to be the town GJ, a grandmotherly, though take-no-prisoners general storekeeper, a senior citizen bar owner and his 40 years younger new bride, a Stillwaters-run-deep teenaged movie fan with ambitions for Hollywood, and, wait for it, the uber-hot and very single local pilot and woman of all trades, who serves as the new doc's landlady, antagonist, and object of desire. Because, well, TV. It's a fish-out-of-water story that becomes a word-of-mouth hit. Northern exposure is unlike anything on the air. It's not a crime drama, not a medical drama, not a law drama, not a family series or a soap opera. Though, in a way, it can be all of these. It's whimsical, funny, sad, uplifting, heavy, esoteric. Beyond the basic TV conventions that it does respect, that of settling into a new home and a new job, replete with all the requisite conflicts, born of not wanting to be there at all. It's one of those new breed TV series about the human condition, long before that description becomes a trope. It's a small-town allegory about the big world and the folks and the doings in it. It's holistic TV. This short summer run in 1990 and another abbreviated run six months from now makes Northern Exposure Emmy eligible, and it scores three 1991 nominations, including Best Drama and Best Writing, after which it becomes a regular part of the CBS schedule and one of the network's biggest hits. It's named Best Drama as little as a year later. The episodes and awards and acclaim and the oddness and the viewers continue to roll in. In the process, Northern Exposure reshapes the primetime drama as the rules of TV in general are being rewritten for changing tastes, for changing interests, for the changes in storytelling. 
Northern Exposure actually lives in a literary world. Magical realism is the phrase. Be it an episode that explores the side effects of Alaska's Northern Lights, or an episode that introduces a lesbian partnership as part of a bold town origin flashback story, or an episode turned over to the town's teenage Spielberg for him to document a day in its life, or an episode about the storekeep's latest of many birthdays, which concludes with the elderly woman literally dancing on her own mountaintop gravesite, given as a gift to honor the day. The latter is actually one of many chapters of Northern Exposure that incorporates the vast openness of Alaska into the series, or at least the vast openness of the Cascade Mountains of neighboring Washington State, which doubles for it, and where the series is shot. The majesty of the Northwest, its landscape, and its indigenous population are on weekly display with Northern Exposure, in which life as unusual unfolds. As the series progresses, reflects Alexandra Del Rosario in Deadline.com for a 2020 retrospective. The doctor and his band of Sicily locals face the past, outer space, the apocalypse, and more. End quote. Says lead actor Rob Morrow in the same retrospective. The weirdness just came and went, although I never thought of it as weird. It was just idiosyncratic. End quote. The showrunners for Northern Exposure are Joshua Brand and John Falsey, who meet as writers in the late 1970s on the CBS high school drama The White Shadow, and who go on to create the acclaimed NBC dramas I'll Fly Away and St. Elsewhere. Poetic narrative is what they do. From Entertainment Weekly in July 1991. If CBS expected a standard medical drama, Brandon Falsey had a more eccentric, creative agenda. From St. Elsewhere, we were kind of doctored out, says Brand. Both John and I could hang up a shingle at this point. The producers instead looked to European films for inspiration and saw in Bill Forsyth's Local Hero and Lassie Hallstrom's My Life as a Dog and Giuseppe's Tornatorne's Cinema Paradiso and Fellini's Amacord, shades of the series they wanted. America, says Brand, tends not to make these gentle, warm, offbeat character comedies. We always say that we wanted to create Alaska as a state of mind, a place where people could recreate themselves in a non-judgmental universe. End quote. Twin currents pull northern exposure along in that universe. Lead Doc Joel Fleischman and his discomfort in small-town Sicily, and the will-they-or-won't-they relationship question with hotshot pilot Maggie O'Connell. Both lose charge after a few seasons, as Fleischman seems to settle in, and as and after the will-they-or-won't-they question is answered. Spoiler alert, they will. And they do. Right around the fourth season, the whimsy pretty much still intact, Northern Exposure nonetheless no longer seems to be the series that viewers fall in love with, that lead actor Rob Morrow is well reported to be unhappy, that he's making salary demands, that he wants to be a movie star instead, that he's an all-around pain in the ass, doesn't help. 
parenthetical self-serving note here. He's actually nice to me when I visit and spend time with him on the Washington set while on assignment in the early 1990s. Though I do observe the pain in the ass part. Producers introduce new characters to keep viewers interested and watching, but the series loses its footing, as well as CBS's support. Northern Exposure is canceled at the end of its sixth season in the spring of 1995. But in those six seasons, Northern Exposure shakes up forever the snow globe that is primetime TV, creating what might be called the first organic television drama, Must Feel TV. It's nominated for a total of 39 Emmy Awards before it's all over. A writer's showcase, it's later included on the Writers Guild of America list of the 101 best written TV series ever. From the Baltimore Sun's Michael Hill in 1991. Northern exposure has glowed like an aurora borealis in the bleak wintry sky. A quirky look at a New York doctor as a fish out of water in a small Alaskan town. Viewers have gotten it. They appreciate it. It's oddball characters, it's warm sense of humor, it's layered meanings and resident irony. It's non-condescending celebration of eccentricity as it highlights a classic clash of urban versus rural culture. Northern Exposure has at once shown an understanding that this world that it has created is illusory, yet that such illusions are powerful and delicate substances that should not be abused. You gotta believe. I'm Jim McCarrens. We'll believe again next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.